everyone and welcome to the Bodybuilding Down Under podcast. Thank you for joining us for our very first episode of Many to Come. My name is Jack Radford-Smith, one of your hosts, and I'm joined by my other hosts today, Lawrence Grieve, Daniel Yates, and Daniel Chappelle. So you're probably wondering why we created this podcast. Well, there are a bunch of reasons why. We all like bodybuilding. We're all passionate about physique sports. We're all competitors ourselves. So what better way to share that passion than on a podcasting platform where we can discuss about bodybuilding, discuss about our own personal journeys and answer some questions along the way as well. So we're going to get straight into this episode and I'm going to hand over to Lawrence Grieve. Thank you, my good man. First, a bit of housekeeping. Obviously, being on this podcast with three other white males, there's a few confusions because there's two Daniels and we need to clear that up right from the beginning. So from here in, Mr. Daniel Yates will be referred to as DY and Mr. Daniel Chappelle will be referred to as DC. So we thought we'd kick off this episode by just getting to know the guys a little bit because essentially that's what this podcast is about, sort of having an insight into not only who we are as competitors, but people as well. So I think we could start off with something like what do we actually all do for a living? And I'll cut down to Mr. DC to get us started on that question. Yeah, for sure. Well, welcome, guys. Super excited to be a part of the podcast. And hopefully we can bring you some awesome value moving forward. Uh, in terms of what I do for a profession, well, my background is I am a exercise scientist and an exercise physiologist. Uh, I've been a PT for, oh God, over 10 years now. I started in a gym at Griffith University as a, uh, a receptionist and also a gym trainer when I was about 17 years old. 29 now, so it's over 10 years uh, working within the fitness industry and I've sort of worked in a few different facets in terms of my sort of career um, stemming from specifically ex-phys which is more to do with chronic disease and injury rehab uh, musculoskeletal rehab and then sort of mo more recently over the last couple of years transitioning into more of a uh, gen pop slash healthy pop slash bodybuilding uh, sort of demographic so Recently transitioning into fully online, which is super exciting and, uh, and working a little bit more within the physique space uh, as of recently. 29 years old, DC. Does that make you the oldest member of the Bodybuilding Down Under podcast crew? Am I really? I reckon I so, yeah. Oh, God. I know. You're got, our father. I'm the father. Okay, that sounds good. I'm down with that. <laughs> and you've got the best moustache to match, so it only makes sense. You've got the uh, density to match as well. This is the reason I grew the moustache, purely. We could have called him Big Dan or we could have called now him Old Dan. So I guess we will go with uh, either or. Father Dan. <laughs> so where did you study, Dan, DC? Uh, so I studied uh, in a Bachelor of Exercise Science and then I did my postgrad in Exercise Physiology. Um, and then I went on to do my certification through Sports Nutrition Australia uh, to become an accredited sports nutritionist. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of my background, educational background, and also, you know, the profession in which I work in. And you did that at Griffith? Yeah, Griffith on the Gold Coast. So I actually originally grew up in far north Queensland, up in Cairns. And, uh, and then when I finished school, I moved down to the Gold Coast. It's kind of where I spent most of my, I guess, holidays outside of school, being a swimmer growing up and, uh, and always coming down to the sunny GC. And it's kind of where I wanted to end up, uh, going to university and uh, that's where I spent a good sort of five years of my youth studying so uh yeah there must be something in the water up there in Cairns mate because that's a few jacked people 
if I even just reflect on the people I've had on my podcast, I think that's the third guest that they've said they're from Cairns. So I think really? they're pumping exactly. something special into the uh, water up there, mate. We are taking over the world. <laughs> and what about you, DY? Let us know what you do for a living, mate. How do you pay for that wonderful Audi that you drive? <laughs> so I've been PTing now for about eight years. I started right out of high school. Um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I just did my Cert 3, Cert 4 went into the gym scene just was a personal trainer just started part-time and there was like a like a weight loss challenge at that time so I had two clients that were in it and they ended up winning it and uh I guess the PT's got a little bonus for winning it so I was like super excited I was like wow this is you know a great little start to the career so I pretty much just followed that on for about the past eight years uh for the last two years I've now gone fully online um in terms of education, I pretty much finished my Cert 3, Cert 4, straight out of uh, high school. Um, recently, I've done my Sports Nutrition Australia accreditation, which gives me, obviously, the legality side of it to be able to give nutrition advice to clients. And so now I can help them on both sides, like the training and nutrition. And I'm also studying an IOPN uh, graduate diploma in sports nutrition. So taking that a little bit further, so then that way I can uh, help clients even more. Do you ever look back on like personal training in person and wanting to do that again, or you're enjoying the online side of things? Oh, I, I, there's pros and cons to both. Like, cause obviously like when you're in person, like you can actually physically help them, like, you know, but when you're completely online, it's like, you're not actually there. Like, you know, sure. Like you can watch videos and help them with like training intensity, but you can't really give them that like in-person experience. So there's definitely pros and cons to both. Uh, personally, I like the online just probably a touch more. Um, just the, I can pretty much help anyone from anywhere. Like, you know, if they wanted to see me in person, they literally needed to sign up to the gym, like, you know, pay a membership and, you know, drive to get there where it's like, I can actually help someone over in like Western Australia. If they want personal training, I can help them with like nutrition training programs, you know, looking over form and, you know, weekly check-ins where in person doesn't really offer that to an extent of what I can get out of the uh, online scene. I think DY is like a pseudo in-person trainer though, because don't all of your clients pretty much train at World's Macrovat anyway? <laughs> that is true. Um, probably <laughs> I have such a large amount of client base that actually train out of World Gym Macrovat, even though I'm not a trainer there. Uh, well, I know it's just like, it's a good atmosphere because technically I'm not training them there, but like when I roll up to the gym, like, you know, we all have a chat, uh, like, you know, I can help them with posing, like they can jump in on some of my sessions, like I can spot them. So even though I'm technically not an in-person trainer i still see a large majority of my clients actually in person so it's a good experience over there at our world gym i would say that a like a really important point of success for transitioning online and this is kind of segueing down a different route but i believe doing in-person personal training is uh is, is super paramount when it comes to building like an online um presence sort of thing or doing it within a positive manner doing it in a positive manner uh, would you would you agree do yeah 100 percent. like oh it's like you one you can build up the client base you can get the results because like with online training like no one's ever going to come to you unless you have some results under your belt so it's like you know it's all about like your online presence like you know posting the transformations with without doing really in person and getting that client base handed to you you don't really have the transformations there to show so it's like who wants to train with someone that has zero transformations 
hasn't had any person in-person experience where it's like, you know, if you've had an in-person experience, you've helped like, you know, a couple of weight loss journeys, you know, you have some like stuff that you can show like exercises, like you can actually train in the gym and show like how to do certain stuff, helping other clients train. And then, you know, it like kind of transfers over to the online very well. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Awesome. Lawrence, over to you. What do you do for a living? Yes. Well, I am a physiotherapist. I work at a private practice clinic called Everybody's Physio, which is located in Wellington Point, Brisbane, which is out where I live, I suppose, a little bit further away from you guys on the east side of Brisbane. Um, And yeah, it's my first year actually practicing as a physio this year. So I had four years of university at the University of Queensland, studying my Bachelor of Physiotherapy with honours. And in that fourth year, that was basically all placement. So five, five week blocks covering all the main disciplines of physio. So in there, a bit of work in the hospitals. I was fortunate enough to have two private practice placements, which was the field that I wanted to then go into. And I think about three quarters of the way through my total placements last year, I was able to apply at the place I'm working now and land a job. So that certainly made things a little bit less stressful for those final two blocks. And yeah, it's my dream gig. So I'm really loving it. And Obviously, it's been a bit of an adjustment getting used to full-time work and full-time hours, but it's uh, really everything I wanted. So I'm very, very happy. What initially drew you to want to study physio? Well, I think looking back on it, I've always had a bit of an interest in the human body. Like even before I'd gotten into the gym, I had always appreciated like muscular physiques. It probably stems from when I was little, I used to watch WWE and all of those guys are pretty jacked dare I say, probably not natural, but anyway. So I always admired like a muscular physique. And then as I got into school, even before I really started training, I always sort of did some push-ups in the bathroom and some curls with the little weights we had around because I wanted to be a bit bigger and be a bit stronger. And then when I was about 14, I rolled my ankle playing cricket and inevitably had to go see a physio in my local area. And I thought, hey, this is pretty cool. You can help people get back to playing sport. You learn about the muscles and the body and all sorts of stuff like that. And I guess I'd always been drawn to healthcare, but I don't know I never had aspirations to be a doctor or anything like that. So physio is really that perfect spot for me. And I've definitely haven't been disappointed up until this point. It's been everything that I hoped. Is there anything that you like specifically love treating in a physio setting? Any sort of uh, conditions or anything like that? Yeah, I think like the stuff that I think physios are best placed to advocate for. So whilst a lot of physios don't necessarily like it, I quite like patients with low back pain because I think it's an area where there's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of fear mongering. There's a lot of people that are spreading information that's just not really helping anyone. And I think as physios, we're really well-placed to treat something like low back pain, which is one of the most prolific disabilities, I guess you could say across the world. Like if you look at the stats as to, the amount of money that's lost in the economy each year due to people having low back pain, it's, it's up there with the more common sicknesses and stuff. So I just think if I can be a advocate of exercise and a healthy lifestyle and getting stronger and having a positive look at exercise to help someone who's had longstanding low back pain, like that sort of thing really interests me. And then obviously the niche that I'm trying to carve out within our little community is to kind of be that physio that competitors come to because if they're in the midst of a contest prep and they've hurt themselves I think it is quite beneficial to be able to speak to someone who actually knows what it's like to be in the midst of a prep to be five weeks out and to not really know what's going on so I think being able to speak to someone with that experience is 
I think a little bit untapped in our community. I don't think there's anyone else who's got that sort of expertise on both sides of the coin. So I guess I want to be that guy for our little niche here in Brisbane, Australia. Yeah, you certainly like as a online coach, like probably at least once a week, you get a client saying, oh, how, what should I do for this injury or experiencing this niggle? How should I treat it? And like, ultimately just like practicing nutrition out of the scope, you can't practice physiotherapy out of the scope. So like, if there was one skill I could have beyond coaching, it would probably be a physiotherapy degree because it, I think it adds a, a lot of extra depth to one's coaching practice to have that skill. Yeah. And that's something I already think you've done a very good job and Tierra included in that, in the info you guys put out, you're very good at sticking with her in your own lane and within your own scope. And I guess that's something I aim to do as well with not trying to delve too deeply into a lot of the nutrition stuff, because as we all know, in this industry, there's just so many people who are trying, trying to do too much. There's PTs that are trying to give too much advice with regard to niche advanced sports nutrition that they're not qualified in giving or injury management or stuff like that so i think in general the health and fitness industry would be in a much better place if we would all just do what we are trained and educated to do i think people will be more respectful of you as well if you're able to actually say hey i'm not able to practice within this space or hey i actually don't know the answer to this question but i can find out or perhaps i'm willing to you know refer you to someone else who can help you manage this. I think people are more respectful of that. And it's an interesting concept because I think a lot of people tend to think, oh, I need to answer this. But perhaps the answer needs to be, hey, I'm not too sure. <laughs> I will find out. I will refer onwards. Yeah, exactly. Like I reflect on a educator, a lecturer that we had, and he's got a master's in musculoskeletal therapy. He's kind of what we all aspired to be like as a physiotherapy practitioner. And there'd be numerous times in prac classes where we'd ask him a question. He says, I don't know, but I'll find out for you. And he'd go away and he'd do the research. So I think the power of actually accepting that we're not perfect. We're not all these gurus that know all. And if you find someone who claims to know all, that's probably a bit of a red flag, regardless of what sort of practitioner they are. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. So what about you, Jackie boy, the man who was the brainchild initially of the podcast, which we're all on today. What do you do for a living, sir? Well, I'm similar to the two Dan's. I'm also an online coach, I guess, specializing in, if I had to pick something bodybuilding, like to help bodybuilders make their way to the stage. And amongst that, I'm also a dietitian. So I studied at also the University of Queensland, bumped into Lawrence once or twice while I was there. Lawrence. I think you literally bumped into me like you sort of like shoved me and I was like hey man because we were both crossing directions heading in our own way in a bit of a rush but I guess at least we got that moment made it was very special There's no way both of you would have been able to fit through the door at the same time so it's it's no wonder you bumped bumped shoulders it was outdoor to be fair oh okay yeah yeah <laughs> did you actually, actually know each other at that time I think we were aware of one another online and it actually brings me to a funny story which I may have told on the podcast where I had Jack on my show I was sitting down with my girlfriend in what's called the great court, which is like this big open seating area at UQ. And I was sitting there and I was like, Gemma, I think that's that guy that used to, that's dating the girl that used to go to your school. And I was like, it's Jack, the bodybuilder. Like he's just competed. And I was like, man, it looks a lot like him. And the bit that confused me is that I knew Jack had competed that weekend and this guy had hairy legs. And I was so confused. I was like, what is going on? Like, who is this man? And then I later learned that Jack has an identical triplet. So it was in fact, Julian, I believe. Julian is my identical twin, yeah. Which is certainly a case of many stories at university, some of which 
I won't go into too much depth now, but I, I did study yeah, at University of Queensland. I did my undergraduate there, uh, which was in exercise and nutrition sciences. So I think the unique part of that degree was that it was nutrition and exercise, which I guess does give me some sort of background in exercise, which is certainly useful. And on top of that, I did the master's in dietetics afterwards. So that was 1.5 years. And I graduated that in 2019, midway through 2019. And I actually went straight into online coaching, so to speak. Like I did some sort of dabbling in personal training while I was studying my master's and I worked some other odd jobs, but nothing full time, of course. And my partner, Tierra and I, we kind of, I guess, generated the bodybuilding dietitians, which was an idea in our final semester at university. And that's been ongoing since midway through 2019. And it certainly has been an interesting experience. Like, unlike you guys, I had to generate clients from the get-go. Like, I didn't have any sort of leeway under my belt other than, like, potentially the podcast, which was still very early then, and some social presence on Instagram. But, yeah, it's certainly been an interesting journey, establishing a career out of it. And, yeah, I'm sure I can speak for all of us or the two other Dans where... It, it is a unique experience working for yourself and uh, helping other people in an online format as well. So yeah, that's, that's a bit about me and myself and Tierra, we, we both run TBD, as I said, and we brought some uh, great competitors to the, to the stage this season, as I know the two of your dads have as well. So I think that brings us nicely into another question, which says, how did you guys get into bodybuilding? So I'll let Lawrence, I'll let you kick this off. Yeah, so I guess for me, I had come out of high school, I'd stopped playing my primary sport, which was cricket. And around the time where I stopped playing formally, I was then getting into the gym and wanting to actually gain a bit of muscle and stuff like that. And being a very competitive person, as I know the three of you are as well, I was looking for that competitive release. I was looking for something to drive my training, a goal to work towards and one of my friends off the cuff one day said, you know, man, you actually gained some decent size. Maybe you should actually look into bodybuilding and competing. So I read up on it a little bit. I messaged a guy who went to another school in the area and asked him, how do you actually do it? He explained a little bit to me. And then I reached out to one of the personal trainers at my gym, which was Snap Fitness Vicky Point at the time. And she gave me an email address of Mr. Joey Cantlin, who has now been my coach for the last six years. So the rest is pretty much history. But I guess like most people, it was the ending of one sport, the need to fulfill that competitive drive and then com combine that with a passion for the gym and we end up here. What about you, DC? I know that I've heard this very recently in the last few days, but please tell the rest of us. Yeah, so my well, I originally started off as a, like a competitive swimmer throughout my more majority of my schooling. Um, and then as I finished up, or, or fi yeah, basically finished up my, my swimming career, you could call it, and moved down to the Gold Coast to begin my studies. I needed a some sort of outlet in terms of my fitness, being so physically active throughout my entire youth. Uh, so I signed up to the nearest gym, which was uh, Uni Fitness at Griffith University. And I started training there for probably about sort of six months before I was actually hired as a, uh, I was basically doing almost work experience whilst I was at my, whilst I was doing my university degree, my Bachelor of Exercise Science. 
uh, and then transition into being a um, you know a gym instructor slash PT. But that definitely grew my motivation towards just bodybuilding training as a whole. Um, I have a bit of a unique story in that I probably waited quite a lengthy time before I actually decided to to actualize that competitive goal and, and get to the stage. But I guess I was so invested in just improving my knowledge base. Uh, I was super um, diligent in terms of you know obviously my studies as well. I was very focused on that. And I sort of set a goal down the track that eventually I would compete one day. Um, and as I continued down that, that pathway, eventually I was like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold out until a decade, you know, post getting into gym training before I decide to actualize that goal. And uh, all throughout that time, living the lifestyle, you know, as a bodybuilder, um, continuing to, to grow tissue and everything like that and focus on my nutrition and everything like that as well. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how I went down that path. I resonate with one part of that, which is like continuing to prolong that initial season. Not that I really prolonged my initial season, but I could quite easily say now, like I'm, I want to compete next year, but I could quite easily say, oh, I can take another year to gain more muscle and, and have a better starting point for my next season. So I'm sure many other people feel the same way. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What about you, DUI? So originally I had been training for about four years, you know, that bro style training split, uh, chest, back, shoulders, arms, legs. Uh, sometimes we miss the legs on the uh, rainy days. Uh, <laughs> but um, pretty much how it happened is Adam Goodyear, one of the uh, one of the fellow teammates of Lawrence here, pretty much competed and he did really well. And he was one grade under me in school. So I was like, well, Jesus, I was like, if he can do it, I can do it. So pretty much I messaged his coach like the day after he won the Brisbane title. And I was like, well, like I want to do this. I've always wanted to do it for a long time, but I never actually just pulled the trigger. It was just like, I was sitting there um, just doing not really much. And I wanted like a goal. So I was like, well, I want to hit the stage. So I pretty much messaged same coach as Lawrence here, Joey. So we're both under Joey. And I was like, listen, like I want to take it the stage. Uh, I've been training for like four or five years now. I've done like the fundamentals. Realistically, I probably didn't do them well enough. Like I didn't really have any good nutrition or like training outside of like that bro split. So when I went to Joey, he taught me so much. And then, yeah, we pretty much went on to our first show and yeah, ne nearly won the overall. And then pretty much ever since I've just been uh, bodybuilding, I guess bodybuilding. <laughs> but in terms of actually bodybuilding, I don't do the bodybuilding division. I thought I'd clear that up right here. Uh, I pretty much like do men's fitness. So I've got a pro card in like the men's fitness division. Uh, a little bit different. It's similar to the WBFF uh, style men's fitness. Just, I guess, like a natty version and not so, uh, not so glam. I could see DY and WBFF though. He's got the smile. He's got the haircut. Sure. To be honest, it's probably one of the only enhanced, uh, I guess, well, untested federations that you could probably be competitive in as an addy. As a male, yeah, for sure. Mr. Jack, you're the last one, mate. What about you? Cool. Well, yeah, I first got into my first competitive season in 2018. And interestingly, that coincided with my first semester at university and my master's program for dietetics. So that was certainly a full-on semester, no doubt. And just a lot of like being all day at the hospital on placement and having to rack up steps and having to interact with people who you don't really want to interact with, but you get it done anyway. And prior to that, I, I was always active growing up as Lawrence kind of alluded to. I've got two other brothers, same age. So always kind of competitive in, in our respective sports, which was for me, mainly football 
And quite naturally you get into the gym as part of the like athletic development program for that and kind of fell in love with just the monotony of it, I guess. And what all bodybuilders do, they, they do the same thing day in, day out for the most part. And that kind of suits me to a T. So quite naturally, once I got to a certain point, I, I met Alan Mao, who was my first coach. I met him at uh, UQ gym and he kind of talked about competing. He helped me with my first prep and the rest is history. Yeah, I don't know how you did that, mate. Like prepping on placement, no chance. Well, even DY would know one of his clients that did extremely well last season, Rika Dawson. She did a contest prep while going through placement and I don't understand how that's possible. Well, I think the key for me was that I didn't know what was coming. So it was my first prep, didn't know what placement entailed as well. So fortunately I was very innocent and that worked in my favor. A lot of unknowns, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I suppose that would have been the same for Rika as well, DY. Yeah, it, it was a it was a rough one, like because you have so many hours to commit to. Not only that, you have study on top of it. Then you got to get your training sessions done. Like your meals are going to be planned. Like I can't remember how long hers was for. I think it was for like eight to ten weeks, and it was about midway through the prep. So it kind of worked out a little bit alright because right at the end of prep, she pretty much nearly had no workload. So like the last like I guess like six weeks, like she could pretty much just do everything bodybuilding. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, but in that initial time where she was on placement. It's like, it's very hard. It's like, it takes up every, pretty much every minute of your day. There's no free time, especially if you're doing a bodybuilding show. Yeah. And then you like factor in having to work because obviously with placement, you're not getting paid. So having to do that on top of it, it's just a a very stressful experience. So anyone who can do that, I definitely tip my cap to them. Absolutely. How much do you guys think your first prep needs to be like successful and for you to enjoy it to then have future goals of competing down the line? Yeah, I think it's crucial. I think it's also a, a matter of the coach being smart with how they take that competitor through their first season. Because I know looking back on my first prep, could I have been leaner? Yes. But ultimately, Joey just didn't really want to push this 17-year-old kid down to the absolute bone and potentially put him off bodybuilding altogether. So get on stage at what was realistically, by today's standards, probably like a five-week outlook. But back then, I guess it was still enough to be semi-competitive and I was pretty happy with how I looked. But I just think a lot of coaches need to be a bit more selective of how far they push that athlete, especially given it's the first one. Because especially if it's someone younger, you know, you could have like a 17, 18 year old bikini competitor come to you that might not be in the best position, but they might be really keen to do a prep. Now, does it make sense to have to grind that poor girl into the dirt or could you just ease her in maybe explain to her and communicate the fact that it might not be a package that's as competitive as she might like but ultimately it's gonna facilitate a little bit better longevity in the sport and a better overall experience with the first prep Mm. i think that brings up a good topic of the starting point because i think that's crucial for the productiveness and the enjoyment of the prep like you don't have a great starting point you have to dig really really deep to get anywhere near to the conditioning that's required and that's more than enough to put someone off comp prep in the future and more often than not it is that first time competitor which has a poorer starting point just because they don't know what what they need to do essentially i guess they haven't maximized their you know off season in a, in a sense for them for the most part you know it's it's perhaps it might be more on a whim hey look i want to compete uh, and it's 20 weeks away and, you know, what have I got to do to, to get there uh, without that sort of essential knowledge of how to track and 
follow a program and set those habits and behaviors in place that you will then leverage on, you know, throughout the comp prep phase. Yeah. Do you guys, do the two dams, do you guys like have some sort of process, I guess, when someone inquires, do you like look for certain key areas as to like whether they're ready to start a prep? Like let's say someone comes to you at literally 20 weeks out and they say, I want to compete. I want to start right now. Like, are you prepared to say no? Like if it need be. Now I am, now I'm at that stage where I could say no, but originally at the start, it's like, it's probably like similar to you. It's like, well, I guess to an extent, it's like when they come to you, it's like, well, you know, you need the initial client base, but like now I'm at the point where if they don't tick all the boxes to start a prep, they just won't start a prep at all. Like I want them at least like 28 weeks out. So I can actually like, you know, see how they, like if you take a client through a prep and like the first two weeks are just crap in the bed on you, it's like, it's going to be a horrible, like last 26 weeks. And it's just not, for, it's not the time to do it. Like, you know, if you can like, you know, help them out at the start, like, you know, see how they actually go with the training and nutrition. And then if they're doing it and they're in a good starting position, then like, you know sure let's let's run the prep but i think a lot of people like you know they'll come to you and they're like like as an online coach you'll probably see it all the time someone will come to you like 20 25 kilos above what they would need to be on stage right and they're like i want to prep in 20 weeks and like can you do it i'm like i guess you could do it but it's going to be an absolutely horrible experience like what lauren said there's like you know it's not going to be enjoyable and to be honest 25 kilos there's actually no chance but like you know if someone comes here at 15 at like 20 weeks out it's like you can do it, but it's not going to be a fun experience. You're not really going to bring you a, a competitive package in most cases, like unless you're very genetically gifted and like, you know, you've already got a very large amount of muscle and you're already starting quite lean. It's just not going to be a fun experience and you might never ever compete again, but instead taking like 30 weeks, like, you know, trying to build, get a good base foundation and then going into the prep. I think it just makes it so much more streamlined and enjoyable too. Like calories don't need to get down as low. Um, and yeah. I guess also, you know, that, that approach, like basically feeding on for what you said is that appropriate, uh, that appropriate pre-screen, you know, prior to the commencement. So obviously you want to find out about any sort of medical history. Uh, you also want to know about their, their training history and their training, uh, their diet history as well. So, you know, have they followed a program before? Do they have any niggles or injuries or areas in which they completely avoid perhaps because of uh, catastrophization or, or fear of hurting themselves? Um, you know, in terms of diet history, what what is their tracking history been like? Have they actually tracked before? They used apps like MyFitnessPal. Um, what sort of diets have they have they tried in the past? What is their kind of philosophy when it comes to nutrition? Um, is it quite steady in that they follow you know something that they eat pretty similarly each each day and they prioritize perhaps protein intake and calories and things like that? And do they even know what these things are? You know, I think that these are really important questions to ask, particularly for someone who is you know a new timer, a first timer. Sorry. Um, yeah, I think. And also, you know, being able to project, okay, we're X amount of weeks away. This is roughly the, the rate of loss that we would have to achieve to get you to the condition that we want you in. Is this realistic? Mm, yes, yes, it is. No, it's not. Um, you know, and then if it's not realistic, then it's a matter of, okay, what, what's the goal here? Are we, are we sort of competing with the idea of wanting more of a transformative effect um, as a means of being able to see what you can achieve, you know, with your, with your body uh, and set, set these goals in place? Uh, or is it, you know, you're wanting to do this as a means of actually being competitive, you know, winning a trophy or, or winning a medal or something of those sorts and, uh, and kind of, yeah, seeing, seeing where the person is at in that respect. If you guys had a client that was five weeks out, you're looking at their pictures and you just go, this is not going to happen. They're not going to be in a spot where they're actually going to be competitive. Would you pull the pin? I know that I spoke to Jack about this recently and I guess the question is, do you say to this person, hey, 
we're not going to get there. And I don't want to put forth your physique as a body of work to represent my coaching. But then the devil advocate side of that is, well, what if they then try and finish off the prep themselves or find a coach that might not take care of them in the same way? So where do you guys stand on that? Well, I think it's on the coach just in general. Like if, if it comes to a point where it's like, there's ne- like it should never get to that point like where they're looking that bad five weeks out that they're not even going to look respectable on stage like that's kind of falling on the coach at that point like you know you should have like a plan laid out like you know if everything goes smoothly like with a decent rate of loss we should be bringing a competitive st- package to stage now if they come at you and you're losing like a ridiculous amount of weight or you- the coach hasn't done the planning and put everything in place then it kind of falls on the coach in that respect i think what if it comes down to like poor adherence though because if they just haven't done what they've asked and then they're going to try get to stage, potentially putting out a physique that might color the opinion of others because they think, oh, wow, Jack's put that person up on stage and they're a good you know, three or four kilos off where they need to be. Now that's not Jack's fault because he had the plan. They didn't execute it. So how yeah, does that work? And yeah, now 100%. Well, the thing is, I have, like, I have like a set minimum that they need to hit each week. So I've got like little boxes that you need to be pretty much ticking. If the boxes aren't being ticked, it's probably prepping right now is probably not the time like if you can't nail your food 100 percent throughout the entire week and like you know you're messing up and like oh like meals are going off track here and there then it's probably like well it's probably not the time to prep there's probably something else that's got getting in the road of it so i'd probably say like hey like you know this probably isn't the time to prep now if they're just straight out lying to you saying that they're hitting the macros and all this and they're really just cheating on the weekend then it's like a whole different story it's like you know i, I would if I knew they were cheating, I wouldn't let them go to stage regardless just because they're not representing the work that I'm putting into them as a coach. Chuck? Yeah, yeah I completely agree. I, I think everyone that I've put onto stage so far has done a pre-prep phase with me and they've either come to me wanting to prep straight away and I've basically said, hey, let's take some time to do a proper off-season first. I've even had people who've been working with me for like 1.5 years initially wanting to prep straight away and... By that point, obviously, I've gotten the gist of who they are and they know exactly what I expect from them throughout a prep. And unless something very unforeseen happens, like I can't see, like Dan said, I I can't see it getting to that point five weeks out where we would have to terminate anything. But yeah, I would say fortunately for me, I I haven't been in a position where that's been a problem. But I guess you've got to think of it from from the, the rationale also of like, you're in a quite a damaging spot, you know, five weeks out, you're still going to be quite, quite lean. You would have probably developed some sort of disorderly eating. And obviously if that's the reason as to why they're not being adherent, um, surely trying to continue to push them into, in the direction of further conditioning, which is only going to exacerbate that more so will, will do no good. So I guess you're starting to kind of dabble past that scope of practice a little bit as well. You could almost argue. So I think you're probably in, it's within your best interest to, you know, try and ease that person out of, out of, out of competing comfortably and, and perhaps try and set up, you know, a productive off season to try and attend to some of these things so that the next phase of, of the contest prep can be successful without these sort of uh, hindrances. But it is a really challenging one, right? Because, you know, the person might have already gone 20 weeks of, of dieting and five weeks out and you're, you're pulling the pin on them. Uh, it's pretty, it's pretty heartaching for sure. But you've also got to think, okay, this is the person's health on the line as well. And these are some big red flags that need to be attended to. For sure. Yeah. Very nicely said, DC. If I may lighten the mood, gentlemen, 
I'd love to hear about what TV shows you're all watching at the moment. Cause that's the point of this podcast as well. It's not going to be all bodybuilding. It's not all business, but a little bit more lighthearted chatter as well. So we'll start in my anti-clockwise direction. Mr. Radford Smith, what are you and Tierra popping on before bed at this stage? Yeah, well, it's an interesting, I guess for all of us, in a sense, we all have partners and potentially we get persuaded by that partner to watch something they might not be particularly interested in. So Don't lie, you chose it. <laughs> he's he's backpedaling here. This is all yeah, justification. Exactly. He loves it. Whatever this Maybe is. Was 60, Housewives, 60, isn't 40. It? No, it was actually Euphoria. We just finished season one of that. So, and... I heard that's pretty risque. It is quite risque, yeah. Almost had to shield Tierra's eyes on a couple of occasions. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> had to explain what was going on in a few scenes. Yeah, that was a couple of us couple of shows ago for us too that was on the agenda what's on the current dy i think there's a show called casual right now uh alana it's like kind of like it's like a little bit of like a comedy but then also like romantic at the same time it's kind of funny right up your alley yeah exactly <laughs> about you lawrence i'm juggling a couple at the moment i've got one that i'm watching with my family which is breaking bad which is absolutely amazing mm. and then Gemma and i are watching bridgerton which is on Netflix. Now, I'm not going to just try to justify and be the manly man. I am choosing to watch this show. And it's actually so good. Like, it's set in that time period, which for the most part, I find to be pretty lame. But there's a lot of modern elements of it that are actually quite cool. So I'd actually recommend that one. And then as my like filler show during meals and stuff like that, I'm actually working my way through the Clone Wars again, which is the animated series from Star Wars. So always has to be a little bit of that in there to top up my cup. See those wow. long, long shows with like so many seasons or it gets intimidating. I like, look, I'm like, wow, nine seasons. of so like, can I commit that much time to one show though? Like I think Breaking Bad has like a lot of seasons. So I'm like, ugh. I, I've actually been watching The Office, which I forgot to mention. That's like similar to you, Lawrence. It's that if I'm eating, I'll usually watch something. So I think I'm on season six right now. Geez, you're flying through it, mate. I think it wasn't that long ago that you were a bit further back than that. So that's good. Well, I'm in the off season. I, I take a lot of time to eat my food currently. So yeah, I'm sorry to say it's probably in that time now where it's beginning its gradual decline, isn't it? Yeah, I would I would agree with that. It's it's getting pretty old. I don't think I can outlast all the seasons, but we shall see. I'll keep everyone updated. I think persist. It's got a really nice ending. So see if you can, but just see how you go. Right. What about you, DC? You're the big anime guy, aren't you? Yeah, I was about to say, I might be the only only uh, anime lover here, to be honest. But I'm watching JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, if any of you guys or girls love that. Um, and I'm also watching uh, the Peaky Blinders as well. Wait, are you watching the new season somehow? No, 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 no. I, I'm actually rerunning it from the from the start again. It's yeah. so, so good, man. What Peaky show, Blinders hey? is unbelievable. It's, awesome. it's probably one of my favorite shows of all time, for sure. See, I get three episodes deep and then like Alana will be like, oh, I'm not a fan of this. Let's watch someone else. I'm like sitting there like exactly really interested. And I'm like, wow. And then we'll go watch a different show like Selling Sunset or something. And they'll fall asleep for like an hour. And the next thing you know, she's like two, two episodes deep. And I'm like, ah, well, it's too late now. That show is utter garbage. I literally watched one, <laughs> one episode of that with Gemma. And I was like, this is so poor. We cannot watch this. Like it was intolerable for me. I actually enjoyed it. It was like sitting there. There's like so much drama with it, but I find it so interesting how much some of these houses actually go for and what's included. I'm like, wow, like 
70 mil for a house like this or something like that and then it's just like you know it's like that trash tv you're just like sitting there oh god damn what happens next episode i wonder what the hell they're selling next and then the next thing you know i'm already three seasons deep yeah dy sitting there like oh 60 mil i reckon i could afford that in another five years yeah, isn't oh, really? that just like the natural progression from your Audi? That's like yeah, yeah, yeah. Next yeah. one, I'm just thinking about shipping that Audi over to the Beverly Hills and then picking up one of my thirty million dollar mansions. I just don't know which one I want yet. Maybe like the ten car garage. Only just 10. for my one car. Just for my <laughs> one car. Just turn it into a Batman cave. A gym. A gym. There you go. How good? Did you ever watch Dragon Ball Z DC? Because I think if anything, that would be the one I start with. Yeah, man, that, that, was, that, was, that was the OG for me. That was definitely a motivator for me to get into the gym, for sure. Goku, Natty or not? Definitely Natty. Well, I don't know. I don't know what this is in those sensu beans, man. I don't know. Tecasterone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. I literally haven't watched one single anime show, I don't think. I reckon like Yu-Gi-Oh! when I was in like grade three. That's about it. Never watched one since. Well, what about Beyblades? Do you remember that show? Yeah, but I never really watched yeah, it. I like, Beyblades. I'm pretty sure yeah. I had some as a kid. Yeah, cool. yeah. Let it rip. I, was, I was a fraud. I had the Beyblades, but never watched the show. So I was like, kind of like, yeah, cheat. So how do you boys go with like Star Wars and Marvel? Because obviously if you got Disney Plus, like there's tons of new shows and stuff coming out. Have any of you dialed into that stuff? I'm going to be honest with you. I haven't watched one single Star Wars ever. So <laughs> when you were giving me the big introduction on your podcast, I was like sitting there. I was like, well, uh, don't really know much. I got the general gist of it, but you know, I didn't know hundred percent what was going on. Well, that episode will be coming down. You start to regret like getting this guy on this show. What's going on here? <laughs> have you going to go seen- on Instagram? Have you watched any of the Marvel or Star Wars stuff? Yeah, man. So I, I've been an avid Star Wars fan ever since I was a kid. I have to, I have to admit though, it's kind of dropped off a little bit as of recently. I watched the the most recent trilogy and um, Rogue One and the other one that came out as well. I can't remember what that was called. Solo. Solo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched those, um, but I haven't. I watched the first two seasons of Mandalorian, but I haven't watched the the most recent one, and yeah, I haven't actually awesome. watched any of uh, Kenobi as well. Nor has anyone else on the planet, mate, as it has not been released yet. So oh, right. Okay, that. there you go. <laughs> I'm jumping the gun. If you had, I'd be like, tell me your secrets. Yeah, just, to, yeah, pirated. No. I'm a, I'm a fan of, like, Marvel and Star Wars as well, but I don't really know enough about the Star Wars backstory for it to make too much sense to me. Like, I enjoy the, like, the cinematography and the storyline, but I couldn't explain like how the movies interlock. So I'll have to get you to teach me. Well, hey, that's what the podcast is about, guys. We've all got our little niches. That's why we are the strike force that has been assembled to represent all things bodybuilding in Australia. Do you find your your interest in, let's say, like Star Wars and, and things like that, it comes from wanting to almost like a bit of an escapism from, you know, what you do for work and what you train and, and everything like that, because we're, we're kind of all encompassed within this, this bodybuilding lifestyle, right? It's kind of like everything we do from our training, all of our, most of our friends are in this profession as well. Obviously every single day, most days of the week, we, we train as well. We track our nutrition, basically everything we do is centered within this fitness industry. And certainly I use things like, you know, anime as, as almost like that escapism where I can kind of switch off, a little bit from from this kind of world or arena that we're centered in yeah 100 percent, mate because even like reflected on when i was deep in prep you know 
you're so locked in on the goal. That's when I found myself watching YouTube videos from, you know, Cuba Chellen and AJ and Brett Wilkin and stuff like that. When you're immersed in it, that's all you want to watch. And then as soon as you start to get into the off season, you get a little bit fatigued with that sort of thing. So you definitely need something that's just completely different to take you out of it, which I really like. So I completely agree with that. Absolutely. And I think that's a good segue into uh, our sort of comp history, you know, in terms of uh, competitive history. So I'll get you to start, Jack, in terms of what you've, uh, you've done in the past and what you've accomplished. Cool. Well, I think this will be a good, let's kind of segue this into maybe our, our future comp as well. And I think that'll be a really good point to end on for this episode for each of us. So previous comps for me was 2018. That was my first comp when I competed in just bodybuilding and it was a pretty successful comp for me for a first timer. It was the two shows I attended uh, was like the two Brisbane shows. So I think it was like the rookie of the year and also the Queensland Brisbane classic show. And I got a bunch of like class wins in, in those for bodybuilding, which was very great for my ego as a first time bodybuilder. And that certainly, as we kind of discussed earlier, helped drive my passion for the support even more so uh, into that off season and into the next season as well. And it was a really good introduction to the bodybuilding scene and a great first prep overall. So yeah. And second to that was last year. So 2021, I competed season A and that season a little bit different because I decided to do classic physique which was, I think, the, the second season that it had existed for ICN. So did classic physique and bodybuilding. Interestingly, that season, I my placings in classic physique was superior to bodybuilding. So I got two overall wins at the Sunshine Coast show and the Brisbane show for classic physique. And I got a couple of first and a couple of set other ladder placings for bodybuilding, which was unfortunate, but... This will be an interesting question to pose to you guys, like whether you're placing in one division, not that I'm trying to say I should have gotten higher in bodybuilding because I think it was quite fair, but do you think someone can win like classic physique and bodybuilding realistically? I think as a natural, it's completely possible because I don't think there's really that much of a different in a natural scene. Whereas like you look at like the open bodybuilders at the Olympia and then you look at like the classic physique guy, there's like a huge difference where it's like, you know, realistically the difference between the two at a natural level isn't really that much i think it's maybe where the judging comes into it though because if the judges are trying to show a certain amount of consistency across their placings it does make sense for them to perhaps overlook a competitor because they know that they're going to be competing in classic a bit later which without trying to sound like i'm pissing in jack's pocket i think is definitely a possibility because i think it goes without saying that there's definitely some guys that i thought you comfortably beat on the day in your bodybuilding divisions and whether or not that was potentially due to the fact that they knew that you were going to be the classic guy for the day i don't know it's all speculation but i definitely think it comes into it i think more so for the females because they tend to jump across divisions more and you know it makes sense for you to have separate overall winners for each different category because it, you're then able to show the audience and the other competitors that there is a difference between all the different subdivisions within physique sports. Yeah, I think it definitely has occurred where, where people and competitors have taken out, let's say, classic physique overall and 
the bodybuilding overall, I think it really just comes down to also like who turns up on the day um, is, is obviously an important variable there, but you don't really know what, I guess the judges are specifically looking for. Um, you know, obviously there's the criteria, but, but they may be slightly more emphasized towards conditioning versus muscularity for either or. Um, yeah. So it's, I guess it's a, it's, it's a difficult piece, but I think what you touched upon DY and that in the, in the natural space, there's probably less of a distinction between the two, you know, obviously in the, in the enhanced route, clear as daylight in terms of which, which is which, right. But um, yeah, that, that line is a little bit more blurred within, within our space. That being said, though, I guess you, as a classic competitor in a natural sport, you do get the chance to throw in some classic poses. Like if there might be someone that's really good at bodybuilding, but then can't do a vacuum in classic or anything like that, then I guess like, you know, they could get marked down because that's like, obviously a vacuum in classic, classic physique is like huge. Yeah. I think that's honestly the main difference for classic in natural federations is just the posing and I still think that some natural competitors look more classic than others for sure, but not to the same degree, obviously, as IFBB, no way. So yeah, I'll just finish quickly and pass on to one of you. So my next proposed season is season B of 2023, which means that I've been in the off season for about a year now. I've got about a year to go until I start prep and still haven't decided to be honest whether I'll be doing classic and bodybuilding or just bodybuilding, I guess for the reasons that Lawrence mentioned, especially since I'll be up against the man himself, Lawrence Grieve. So don't, uh, don't want him to give it to him easy. That's for sure. I definitely don't think that's going to be the case, mate. I've got my work cut out for me, but I guess that will segue into me pretty nicely. And obviously season B 2023 will be my next stage outing, which I'm very much looking forward to. And, that's pretty much been the plan since 2018. So since my 2018 season, the plan was always to be compete 2020 and then 2023 with the eventual goal of taking out the Australian titles as a junior, as that will be my last year to compete as a junior. And then I guess the even more overarching goal is to get over to the WNBF Worlds as I'll still be a junior in that affiliate federation as well. And to stand up with the best guys in the world and see where I fare is obviously a huge goal. But um, before move, looking forward to that season, I've done eight shows. My first season was in 2017, which I had two shows. And then I guess in 2018, I think it was uh, another three shows and then another three in 2020. So 2020 being obviously my most successful season yet, which was the COVID year, which was obviously a very interesting experience prepping throughout all that. But I was able to come away with, three overall wins across the three shows, which was across three federations as well. So that was obviously very special, but I definitely know that the standard in 2023 is going to be much higher because there's going to be a lot more numbers. There's going to be a lot more people actually going through contest prep. And obviously I have a juggernaut of a man, Jack Radford Smith to stand up against. So it's going to be some hard yakka, but I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Yeah, I can't wait to stand up against you for the first time. It'll be good. It certainly will be so. What about you, DY? Now that you are of pro status, which shows are you iron off? I would like to do season B 2023. So it would be the exact same season as both you two boys. The only reason behind that being is as a pro competitor, you only really get a couple of shows every year and you'd be able to do a nationals and you would also be able to do a worlds in the first half of the year. They don't actually have a worlds. It's only a national pro show. So it, 
if I was to prep, I would much rather do two shows just instead of one. Uh, and that's just my sole reason behind it. But I'm not 100% set in stone for season B next year, just because I have a large amount of clients already pretty much wanting that one and a half years out. And it's like, I don't really want to go into a prep and then I'm going to have the most clients I've ever had doing that exact same season. Not only that, if I step up to physique as well, I'm going to have to be versing a couple of my boys. And, you know, I don't want to do that. Uh, but in terms of my actual shows, Jack, when was your, what season was your first show? That was season A. 2018 yeah yeah so that season was actually my first season as well so I did the Townsville and the Brisbane I won all my respective divisions and then came second in the overall twice that was like kind of like so close uh so that's what pretty much kept me fueled for this uh adventure I guess now that I'm on and then my next show was in the season B 2019 where I came third in the opens so that was like a little bit of a hit because all my clients did so well. And then I came short by quite a fair bit. Uh, and then my last show, which was uh, season B 2021, uh, where I won both my first shows that I did, which was the Townsville, North Queensland and the Brisbane. Uh, so it, was, it felt really good coming back and not cracking a second in the overall for once. I uh, got both first and then won my pro card at that show, uh, which would be the same show as uh, Big DC here. Yeah. Yeah, so my, I guess my, my background when it comes to the competitive front, like I previously said, you know, I waited a good chunk of time before I decided to actualize my competitive goals. I've been training as a bodybuilder, living the lifestyle as a bodybuilder um, and, and as, a, as a spectator of the sport for, you know, over, over 10 years. Um, I was a personal trainer down in Sydney at Virgin Active in Moore Park. And there were two trainers there that were actually prepping for a competition uh, and I went to support them at one of the shows. I believe it was the Superbodies, which was actually one of the shows that just recently happened down in New South Wales, I believe. Um, and I think just attending that show, that ICN show was just like phenomenal, seeing the standard of athletes that was up there. Um, that's what really introduced me to um, my, my current coach, which is Brandon Kempter, BK Conditioning. And just seeing the caliber of athletes that he had up on the stage at that time was, was really kind of the motivational driver to say, hey, you know, I, I think I can give this a crack. I think I'm ready to, to give it a crack. So the following season was season B in 2019. And I believe Brandon competed that year. And that's also when, or that season, that's also when I, I created, uh, we basically teed up a conversation and, uh, and set that goal for season A 2020, uh, which was coincidentally also when everything shit, like shit hit the fan with, with COVID. And uh, my comp prep, I believe we started it around the 22 weeks out, which is probably a little bit too short. I probably did leave it a little bit too short to, or too late to contact him about getting started, but things were canceled, I believe about two to three weeks out from that, from that contest prep. Um, and obviously everything was shut down, including gyms. Yeah, just er everything, right? We were locked in our houses for a good 14, 15 weeks or so. Um, and having that happened was quite a hit to the heart for sure. Um, but we sort of, you know, I guess copped it on the chin and said, well, Hey, let's, let's use this to our advantage. We've learned a lot about the contest prep process. You know, I'm, I'm technically no longer a first timer. I am a first timer for my most recent season, but I'm technically, it's not my first prep. So I definitely had learned a lot through that process and, uh, and obviously took a rather short off season to then compete in 2021 season B and uh, did two, two shows. I was actually going to do three, but I had very much actualized my goal within that ICN 
uh, Queensland show to win the overalls and the pro card there and um, decided to kind of cut the, the prep short because I just felt like I had achieved what I wanted to and was kind of ready to, to hit the off season. Um, so I did the Tropic show and then the, the Queenslands and um, Nationals was actually cancelled because of obviously what was happening with travel and uh, no one was really able to travel across states. So they allocated the, the winnings of the overall to uh, achieve your, your pro status or your pro card. So it's a bit of an abnormal way of, I guess, achieving your, your pro status. I would have loved the opportunity to, you know, get to get to nationals and actually have a crack, but um, obviously we weren't, we weren't able to. So yeah, uh, in terms of future endeavors in around competing, I'm probably looking at a timeline around 2024, even 2025. Um, my next sort of goal in and around that is I would love to, um, go to a, like an ICN Worlds and, and do really well there. And I would love to travel and also bodybuild. So similar to you, Lawrence, getting over to the States and, and hitting the WNBF stage there and, uh, and seeing how I look in front of, you know, some of the other guys there, which, which I would argue is, is, is pretty much the pinnacle of, of, uh, of bodybuilding, considering that they have such a large status of athletes coming around, around the world to compete there. So um, yeah, definitely want to hold it, hold it, hold it down here in Australia in terms of the, uh, the ICN uh, and then, you know, go overseas and do some travel and bodybuild as well. Awesome. Yeah. I have no doubt that especially by 2025, you'll compete with the WMBF pros and some of their top tier competitors, especially judging from your physique when you got that pro card. Yeah. It should be good, man. I, I yeah, that's definitely the goal, but I want to give it some time. I'm not rushed to get to the stage and obviously the, the premise of my, long, long, long off season before actually deciding to actualize that goal. I'm sort of sitting back down into that position of, of, Hey, let's just enjoy the lifestyle. Let's continue to make progress in the off season, focus on obviously business, business endeavors. And, uh, and then when I get that itch again, that's, that'll be the time to, to get back on stage. Yeah. Well, I think that pretty much summarizes this very first episode of bodybuilding down under and let's get a good routine going for these are uh, end of episode. So if everyone could post a screenshot, if they would like to, of course, tag myself, tag Lawrence, who's general.muscle on Instagram, tag uh, DY, who is DY fit on Instagram and tag DC, who I believe it's just Daniel Chappelle. Yeah, that's right. Daniel.chappelle. Awesome. Cool. And I think at this point we won't have a uh, bodybuilding down under Instagram, but we'll see if that changes in the future. Uh, please also leave us a five-star rating and write a review if you would like to. It genuinely means a lot and it really helps this podcast grow. But without further ado, thanks a lot for listening, everyone. We'll catch you guys next week for the next episode. Bye.